0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how God was with Noah in the ark, but is recorded as being silent and not letting him know how long he'd be in the ark. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from yesterday's message.
1: Noah looks at the ark and he says, when I look at this ark, I see the provision of God. God did not have to tell me to make an ark. He didn't have to give all the dimensions and so forth like that, but God gave that to me like a gift, like a provision, and it was that. When we have the spirit of covetousness, the message that we're sending to God is that your presence with me, that's not enough. That's not enough to keep me happy. I need something or someone more. And every time, with every swing of Noah's hammer, he was preaching, I'm taking God seriously about judgment, and so should you. That was his message.
0: Now, here's Tom Cantor as we continue our expository study in the book of Genesis every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday.
1: Then he showed us, by his own example, that when we are faced with God's invitations, we will face a conflict between our will versus God's will, and we must yield our will to God's will as he showed us that he did in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he wanted with all of his heart to not drink the cup of God's wrath for our sins. And so he said in Luke 22, 42, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless not my will, but thine be done. It's all about those words, thy will be done. When we respond to God's invitation to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're saying, I know you want me to come and I come saying, thy will be done. In the Philippines, a pastor came to me with a very troubled look on his face because a lost person had told him that he would rather go to hell than to believe in Jesus Christ. And if anyone responds to God's invitation to come to him with, I would rather go to hell than to believe in and become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then God says to that person, thy will be done. And if anyone responds to God's invitation to come to him with, I come, then the person responds to God's invitation with, Thy will be done. See, in either case, the words, Thy will be done, will be heard. By the lost soul that says to God, Thy will be done, as he comes to the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, Or by God saying to the lost soul, thy will be done as he turns away from the Lord Jesus Christ and is lost forever. So the word come in verse 1 emphasizes that the choice is all man's. This is man's choice to turn to or to turn from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, because in verse 1 God said to Noah, come into the ark. God did not say to Noah, go thou into the ark. What does that tell you about where God is? God's in the ark. He says, come to me in the ark. In other words, if God had said, go into the ark, that would have meant that God was saying, go away from me into the ark. But since God says, come thou into the ark, so God was saying, come thou to me. When Noah went into the ark to be saved from the flood, Noah was going to God. See, that's the same for us. When we went to the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved from our sins, we were going to God. And just as Noah was coming to God in the ark to be saved from the flood, we come to God on the cross to be saved from our sins. I the message about where the Lord said in Isaiah, Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. And the answer is, look where? Look to the cross. That's where he is. So God said to Noah, Come to me in the ark. Noah was going to God to be saved in the ark and so just like Noah's going to God he's coming to God in the ark every lost person comes to God on the cross to be saved but the fact that God did not say go into the ark as in it's time for you to leave me so I'll say you know God didn't say to Noah okay goodbye goodbye for now you know bon voyage and I'll see you on the other side you know (laughs) of the flood Bye-bye, I'll be waiting for you. When the door opens, you'll be the first one to see. I'll say, welcome. But instead, God said in verse 1, come, which means during the whole time when Noah was in the ark, God was with Noah. They were together there in the ark. So what God was saying was, come on in, Noah. So we're going to go through this flood together in the ark. I mean, it was a scary time, I can't imagine it. Very turbulent water, I'm sure he got seasick. I'd get seasick down there. You can't see. And, you know, he wasn't going to be able to see anything, just bobbing around in the water. But during all that time, it was okay. Why? Because for the whole voyage, it was God and Noah together. They were taking the strip together. That's nice. And you can imagine, you know, Noah, he's going around. He's got to take care of the animals during that time. Not a very nice job, but that's what he had to do. There's a great song, you know, Never Alone. It kind of applies to Noah. It goes, I've seen the lightning flashing I heard the thunder roll. I felt sin's breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. I've heard the voice of my Savior telling me still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. In the picture, Noah, he's walking around the animals, and he's singing, no, never alone, no, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. So the whole trip, God's with Noah. I made all the difference in the world for Noah, how he could do this. That's what Moses said when he was speaking to God, he said in Exodus thirty-three fifteen, when he was with all those people who were not content and doing a lot of complaining to God and to Moses, and Moses said, I don't care where you take me, wander around in the desert for 40 years, just one thing. And he said to him in Exodus thirty-three fifteen, he said unto him, If thy presence go not up with me, carry us not up hence. So what Noah was saying was this, desert 40 years, bloodthirsty enemies, no water, lots of trouble, you know, all around, he was saying this, anywhere with God, nowhere without God. That's what he was saying. And that's what Paul taught us when he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we've mentioned this before, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you might be able to bear it what is the way to escape that he was talking about is very simple it's the presence of the lord jesus christ what was the way for noah to endure all that time in the ark it was the presence of god that's the way so whether it's moses or in the desert or whether it's noah in the ark or it's us in a hardship in life god puts us in it's the same model. Anywhere with God, nowhere without God. But how long was it that Noah was in that ark? How long? Okay, let's figure it out. Turn to Genesis 7:11. How old was Noah when all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened? How old? He was six. Okay, so it says in the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, seventeenth day of the month. Okay, twenty-eight day of the month. So two times twenty-eight and seventeen. 73 days. Okay, so it was 73 days after his 600th birthday. Okay, now, according to verse 10, how long had he been in the ark before that time? Seven days. Okay, so that means he went into the ark seven days earlier. So, 73 minus 7, so 66. So, he was there, he entered the ark 66 days after his 600th birthday. Now, look at Genesis eight thirteen and 14. How old was Noah when he got off the ark? came to pass in the 601st year, first day, first month, the waters were dried up from off the face of the earth. Noah removed the covering. So what day was this? The first day of the first month of the 601st year. It his birthday. Okay? Happy birthday, Noah. And then it goes on in verse 14. It says in the second month, on the 7th and 20th day of the month, was, was dried. The earth was dried. So what does that mean? He stays in the ark two more of those 28-day months and 27 days, or 83 days after his 601st birthday, all right? So he enters the ark 66 days after his 600th birthday, and he leaves the ark 83 days after his 601st birthday. So about how long is he on the ark? Not exactly, It's about a year, <laughs> okay? Give or take, a year, 17 days. Let's just call it a year, okay? Well, a year is good enough to say, that's a long time. Caribbean cruises are one week or two weeks, and that's enough. And this isn't a Caribbean cruise. This is a year. Now, you remember something interesting. In Genesis 6.21, you want to turn back to that, where God gave Noah a responsibility when he said, And take thou unto thee of all the food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather at thee, and it shall be for food and for them. Now, is there any record before Noah enters the ark of how long he and those animals will have to be fed in the ark or have to be in the ark no we don't have any record of that so if noah thought it was going to be a one month trip on the ark and it was really a one year trip on the ark that would have been a problem because noah was responsible for the food right he had to get enough food So if God told Noah that he was responsible to get enough food to last for the whole ark journey, and we have no record of God telling Noah how long he was going to be on the ark, what's the only conclusion you can come to? Same one like last week. N-T-K, need to know. We're on a need-to-know basis. God must have told Noah how long it was going to be. Otherwise, how can you get enough food if you don't know? One year is a long time and he didn't tell us. So, just like we said last week, God must have told Noah the difference between clean and unclean animals. Now remember back in Genesis 3:15 how Eve heard God say to the serpent that from her seed was going to come the Messiah and he was going to crush the head of the serpent. Now, do we have any record in Genesis 3 that her seed was going to be fully God? Because that's unusual, right? And we don't. But when we came to Genesis 4-1, you remember the first words of Eve with the birth of her firstborn son was, I've gotten a man who is God. That's what she said there. How did Eve know that the Messiah was going to be fully God. Her seed was going to be fully God, N-T-K, right? God must have told her and didn't tell us. Now, all this goes to show that God told Eve and God told Noah. And Abraham, who saw the day of the Lord and rejoiced in it, more than we have a record of. Now, why is that important to know that God told these people, even Noah and Abraham and others, more than we are told? Why? Because the deceiver, the devil, has used a trick. He's used a little trick to get us to think that God has not done right. And the deception that he's used goes like this. Well, we know that there's only one way to get to heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting in his death. And since the Old Testament doesn't say anything about the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't say anything that God told Eve and Noah and Abraham about the Lord Jesus Christ and his death, then they couldn't have gone to heaven, see? Now, the truth is that we are not told what God told them. And that's why these examples are important. When we see Noah going out and collecting food for his family and his animals for the trip, we know he had to know how much food he should get that it was going to be a one-year trip, but we're not told. Now, thinking about Noah in that boat there for a year on the ark with God, that must have really been some wonderful time for Noah. Let's say it's an easy time, but it was a wonderful time. Why? Because he was in close proximity with God. He was in close fellowship with God. He was in close friendship with God. And if we were to ask Noah, say, no, that must have been pretty rough to be there on that boat for a year. Terrible storms bobbing around with all those animals. If you have to do it again, would you do it again? And Noah would say, you bet I would. You bet I would. That was the greatest time in my life because God was with me in that ark and it was a wonderful time to be shut up together with God even though it was tough times. Now the Lord said to Noah in Genesis 7-1, He says, come thou and all thy house into the ark. And then he said, for thee have I seen righteous. Now, that looks almost like it's a reason for why he was brought into the ark. For God to say, he's invited him because I have seen thee righteous. Now, King Solomon said very clearly to us, in case there's any doubt, we don't need any instruction to know that we are sinners because we know that firsthand but king solomon went on and he said in first kings eight forty six, for there is no man that sinneth not and paul said actually the same thing in romans three twenty three when he said for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god and isaiah said something about our righteousnesses in isaiah 64 6 when he said we're all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags so if all have sinned then that means that Noah had sinned. And any righteousnesses that Noah had were as filthy rags. So what in the world could God have meant when he said, I have seen thee righteous? And this, by the way, is the first time that this word righteous is used in the Bible. And the answer comes very clear when we look, and if you like to turn to Genesis 15, 5 through 6, because this is the passage in Genesis 15, 5 through 6, where God is telling abraham something that's not easy to believe so he says this in fifteen five, genesis 15 5 and he brought him forth abroad and said look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them and he said so shall thy seed be and then it says in verse 16 and he believed in the lord and he counted it to him for righteousness so here we have abraham he has no children he and his wife are well beyond the age of childbearing And God takes Abraham out on a nice, clear, star-filled night, and God tells Abraham, look up Abraham, look into the stars, and see, try to count them, and then he says, now your seed's going to be like that in number.
0: Tom, today you talked about how God said to Noah, for thee have I seen righteous. Doesn't the Bible say that everyone is a sinner and not righteous? Noah was a sinner, was he not? Well, yes. As a matter of fact,
1: Solomon made this so clear when he said in Ecclesiastes 7.20, for there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And that included Noah also. Noah was a sinner. So in and of himself, Noah was not a righteous man. As a matter of fact, it says in Isaiah 64.6, but we are all as an unclean thing. That includes Noah, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That includes Noah's righteousnesses, and we all do fade as a leaf, and all our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So you're absolutely right that Noah was a sinner, and he was not righteous in and of himself.
0: And yes, we're all sinners, and Noah's a sinner uh, and not righteous, but how could God say that statement, though, for thee have I seen Righteous. The key to understanding how God could say that is in the word seen.
1: For thee have I seen righteous. In other words, he didn't say, for you are righteous, but I have seen, for thee have I seen righteous. Because what God sees when he looks on Noah, what God sees when he looks on any believer, what God sees when he looks on anyone who is saved by God's way of being saved, saved, is he sees a covering. This is what he meant when it says in 2 Chronicles 6.41, when the prayer was made to God, now therefore arise, O Lord God, into thy resting place, thou and the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let thy saints rejoice in goodness. This prayer here, where it says, let thy priests be clothed with salvation, the word salvation in Hebrew is the word Yeshua. That's the word Jesus. So what they're actually, what the prayer is, is let thy priests be clothed with Jesus. Let thy priests be clothed with salvation. It says then, so that's the first point we see then it says in Psalm two nine, let thy priests be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. So in Second Chronicles 6.41, it's let thy priests be clothed with, with salvation, with Jesus, and Psalm 132.9, let thy priests be clothed with righteousness. So when we are clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are clothed with his righteousness, not a righteousness of our own, but his righteousness. And therefore, when God looks on us, when he looked on the priest, he didn't see the sin of the priest. He doesn't see our sin, but he sees the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a righteousness, not their own. And for Noah, it was a righteousness, not his own. So when God says, for thee have I seen righteous, he was not saying, Noah, it's your righteousness, because we already saw from Isaiah 64, 6, that all of Noah's righteousnesses were as filthy rags. Then what was he seeing? He was the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ let thy priests be clothed with Yeshua with salvation let thy priests be clothed with righteousness it's the same idea that that um, was spoken of in Psalm 91 4 when it says he shall cover thee with his feathers this is God covering us with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust see the feathers of God in other words the wings of God is the covering and so therefore when God God looks, he sees the feathers and the coverings, and this is what the Lord Jesus Christ was referring to in Matthew 23, 37, when he says, and he stood outside of the city of Jerusalem, and it says when he says this, that the greek says that he cried out with a such a loud cry a cry that would have been heard all around echoing all around because he was really pouring out his heart as he cried these words oh jerusalem jerusalem the lord jesus christ said oh jerusalem jerusalem thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee how often would i have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathereth her children under her Wings, and ye would not. See, so it's the same idea here as the Psalm ninety one, where it says, He shall cover thee with his feathers. Who? That's God. And who is that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. As it says in Matthew 23, 37, where he said, How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens? And when the gathering takes place, there is a covering. There is a covering of the chickens under the wings of the hen. That's the covering which is the Lord Jesus Christ, which God sees the righteousness, and therefore he could make the statement to Noah, for thee have I seen
0: righteous. Now, Tom, I can see how with that covering, how God could say, for thee have I seen righteous. So why Noah and no one else at this time could God see that way?
1: Yes, and so those last three words of the verse that I just quoted in Matthew twenty three thirty seven tell why. Because remember, there again it says, O Jerusalem, so the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings. And, and here are the words, ye would not. See, ye would not. He was willing. He wanted to. There was no problem with the invitation, with the opening, with the with the with the hen wanting to gather the chickens. The problem was not with the hen. The problem was not in the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem is not that there is not a place there, as the song goes, there's room at the cross for you. The problem is ye would not. So the answer to the question, so why Noah, no one else, is that it had to do with Noah in comparison. With everyone else, you see, there's an invitation that God makes when He says in Isaiah 53:10. It's a, it speaks about this verse speaks about what God did. And then the emphasis is then turned to talk about what we must do. It says there, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he hath put him to grief. See, that's what God has done. God has provided the cross sacrifice of the lamb of God, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son. That's God the Father who has done that. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, he hath put him to grief. Now the emphasis turns on our responsibility. When it says when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. See, so in other words, it's the same thing as what the Lord Jesus Christ was saying in Matthew 23, 37, when he said, ye would not. That parallels with Isaiah fifty-three ten when he says, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. So really, God is saying, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. In other words, God wants us to do that. God is not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. It says that God who will have all men to be saved. So this is what God wants. So he says, you will do this when thou shalt do this. But you must do this. No one can receive the Lord Jesus Christ for you. No one can make the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ your offering for sin. You must do that. I must do that. Each person individually must do that as God said to the Jewish people in Isaiah that he would gather them one by one and one by one. They each make their decision. Yes or no, they will make the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ, their offering for sin. Yes or no, they will receive the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world as their Passover lamb to save them from an eternity of eternal death and experience the passing over of their soul, the Pesach, the sparing of their soul because of the blood of the Lamb that they have put on the doorposts of their hearts, one by one. Each person makes his decision, just like the father in the house made the decision to go and get the lamb for his house. And this is emphasized to us in Psalm 95, 7 through 10, when it says there that today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Don't do that. He's saying, as in the provocation of the day of temptation in the wilderness. And then he reminds us, when you're fathers tempted me, proved me, saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, as a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. That brings us back to the wilderness. And we only have to remember that out of all those people in the wilderness, how many went into the land of Canaan? Only two out of millions. Only two out of millions went in. Why? Because they made the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, their lamb, and therefore they were saved. They made his soul their offering for sin. And that's why Noah and no one else at that
0: time. Thank you for joining us today. And today is a special occasion, as it's the one-year anniversary of the Friendship with God radio program, we started out in San Diego, California and a few other major cities one year ago, and now we're on in hundreds of major cities nationwide in America and abroad. Now, if you've missed any of Tom Cantor's teaching from the Book of Genesis or Exodus, we encourage you to visit our website to listen or to download today's message and messages from the past year, all available free to download. Now, you can also order a copy by calling us at 1-800-247-3051. That's one 800 247 3051. To order a copy of today's message or previous messages, just give us a call 1-800-247-3051. And on this one-year anniversary, we want to encourage you to reach out to a lost Jewish person with the gospel. We'll give you a free gospel gift or them. Just call us at 1-800-247-3051 or go to friendshipwithgod.org to fill out an online form for a free gospel gift for a lost Jewish person.